you can, you can find your seat. If you're watching online right now, we're not saying that you're afraid, okay? We're not saying you're afraid. We're not judging you right now. We're just happy that you're happy that you're joining us right now online. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tonight, we are going to be wrapping up um, uh, not our key figures of the Bible, but we're going to be talking about our last key figure in the Old Testament. How, how many of you have enjoyed the journey through the Old Testament? Come on. I mean, just... It, it, is, it, has been, it has been so good. I just want you to know that I have been, uh, well, I can say this because I know Destiny is not watching online right now. I have, I have been, <laughs> she's like, I've heard you preach before. Uh, and, you know, I, I have to say that um, I, have been, I have been criticized. Uh, as, as we have journeyed through the Old Testament. Yeah, I've been criticized. I mean, it's hard, hard to even believe, hard to imagine. I've been criticized through this um, because Destiny says, you have given me all of the most difficult people to talk about in the Old Testament. And I, I said, baby, I don't, I don't understand this. And she says, you've given me people like Ezekiel. And if you just Google Ezekiel, you'll find out that this prophet was like on crack. I mean, I mean, this guy, I mean, like it's just, this guy was one of the strangest, craziest prophets in all the Old Testament. Uh, and she's like, then you, you know, you want to give me people like Isaiah? And I try to defend myself. I said, baby, Isaiah's like sixty chapters. Like, if you can't find something to say out of sixty chapters, then you really don't need to be up there preaching. Uh, but, but, but she said. Yeah, I did say that. Okay, I did. I, that's that's just the way it goes. And and we go back and forth and back and forth. So I want you to know that that this has that this series has not been without your pastor taking some 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 strong criticism. So I have endured though because I know it was it's it's blessing you. Come on, let's throw the graphic up there real quick. Uh, our Old Testament graphic. Uh, we've been working our way through the Old Testament. We started over here with Abraham. Abraham is the patriarch. He's the father uh, of the faith. Faith and we started there where God called Abraham out. He called him out of a godless people, an idol-worshiping people. And he says, I, I want to, to have a people, and I want that people to come through you. That started Abraham. We see the period of the patriarchs there. That's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those people are mentioned all the way throughout Scripture. God, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob had a son by the name of, of Joseph, and uh, God God. God blessed Joseph when he was there uh, in, in Egypt, and it's a long story. You can go back and listen to the other podcasts. I'm not going to preach all those sermons, but they end up in bondage there in Egypt, and that's where you get the Exodus. God sends Moses back into Egypt, and uh, Moses goes in, and he tells the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, he says, it's time for you to let God's people go. They'd been in bondage for 400 years. Moses leads them out of Egypt. Uh, they get into the wilderness there. They spend 40 years into the wilderness. Then it is not uh, Moses, but Joshua, his predecessor, that takes the people into Canaan, into the, the land of promise. The Bible says it's a land that flows with milk and honey. They get into that land, and then you see the conquest period there. That's the period where Joshua uh, was uh, conquering the enemy and driving them out of this promised land. Because how many of you know the promises of God don't come without a fight? Amen. You got, you got to take the promises of God by faith and by action. And then so you, you see that the conquest is complete. They enter into the period of the judges. And then after a period of the judges where God was basically 
their king. They just had uh, judges established there to make just rulings and to, to help guide the people. But they said, no, we, we want to be like the other nations. And all these other nations, they have a king, they have a ruler, and we want to be like them. And that's wherever you see uh, the, the people of Israel, they, they elect Saul. They want Saul to be the king, and Samuel anoints uh, Saul to be king, or the people wanted a king, and the prophet Samuel anoints Saul to be king. So Saul becomes the first king, and then David is the second king, and then Solomon follows him. And then when you get into that fourth generation of kings, that's when the kingdom is divided. You see the division of the kingdom there. Then the northern kingdom falls, the southern kingdom falls. And this is where we have been for these last few weeks. We, we've been talking uh, there is Destiny's Ezekiel right there that she preached. Uh, and then uh, uh, Daniel, uh, we, we talked about Daniel. And they ended, ended up in this exile period. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about the rebuilding. Uh, Nehemiah came back to rebuild the wall, if you were here for that. He rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem that would protect them from their enemies. And Ezra comes in, and Ezra comes in, and uh, he brings back the law, the teaching uh, of, 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 uh, of the Word of God. And, uh, and so tonight we're going to close with uh, the last figure of the Old Testament, and it's actually the last book of the Old Testament, and there it is down there right at the very end, Malachi. Malachi, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, the book of Malachi, as we wrap up this Old Testament portion of the key figures of the Bible. Uh, there is some debate around the book of Malachi, and I just want to uh, inform you um, of this. Um, uh, the, the debate is, that was there really a person by the name of Malachi? Because in, uh, in the original text, it says, uh, the, actually, Malachi's name means uh, my messenger or God's messenger. And so it says, this is a book from Malachi, but it means this is a book from God's messenger. So there's some people that say that this was actually uh, maybe a book that Ezra had written or maybe uh, some other uh, uh, some other prophet or our priest there in Jerusalem, but but most still hold to the fact. I just want you to know that most still hold to the fact that Malachi was a real person and that Malachi did write this uh, write this book. And Malachi was a contemporary of Nehemiah and Ezra, so that's why they were all right there together in in the. Uh, in the little timeline that we just saw, they were contemporaries. They were all at the same time. And I tell you that, but, but this is the fact that who actually penned the book is not near as important as to what God is trying to say to us through the book. Amen? Uh, whether there was a person named Malachi or whether it was Ezra that wrote it is not nearly as important because this was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is the Word of God, and God is going to speak to us through the book of Malachi. Malachi, once again, means God's messenger. How many of you understand that a messenger is simply one who carries a message? That, that's, that's, what, that's what makes you a messenger, that you have a message with you. You have a message to give. And so uh, if, if, uh, if he is God's messenger, then that means he's got something for us. He, he's got a message from God to deliver to us. And I believe the message of Malachi, it wasn't just relevant um, there on the timeline, I believe it's relevant today. Amen. I, I believe that God's word is timeless. It, the word of God is a timeless book, and uh, you know, there's just some some statistics about uh, about the Bible that I, I found very interesting. I I was just I did a little research uh, as I was just thinking about the word of God and the 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 word of God being a, a timeless book, and um, you know, the the Bible is the best selling book of all time. It is the best-selling book of all time. And the Bible Society says that between 1816 
1975, 2.5 billion Bibles were sold from 1816 to 1975. From 75 to 95, they estimate that number to be at 3.5 billion. So in 20 years, 3.5 billion for for a, a total of almost 7 billion Bibles that have been sold. Uh, and obviously that is a, the very best estimate that they can get. Uh, here's some other interesting facts for you about the Bible. At least I found them interesting. And if you don't think they're interesting, just nod your head. It'll make me feel better. Uh, the entire Bible is available in 426 languages. 426, the entire Bible, 426 languages. The New Testament is available in 1,115 languages. I thought that's pretty, pretty, pretty good. Uh, over 1,000 additional languages have at least a portion of the Bible in their language. So that is over 2,500 different languages that have at least a portion of the Bible. And you think, wow, that sounds really, really good, but can I tell you how many languages do not have even one book of the Bible translated into their language, and that is 4,500 languages. 2,500 have at least one book. 4,500, that is 2,000 more languages, do not have uh, even even one book translated into their language. How many of you know uh, that that we need to have the Word of God translated into every language? We 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 need the Bible to do it. There are people that are giving their life to this. I, I met one one man who uh, was living on the coast of of Indonesia in a remote place. There was uh, there there was I I think maybe. I can't remember, just a few thousand people in this people group, and they spoke their own language. And this man had been living among these people for eight years, and he was spending eight years just trying to translate the book of Mark into their language. Eight years of his life he had given up just to translate one book of the Bible. And at that time, he was not even finished in the translation of the book of Mark. And so people like that are all over the world today. They are going in and living with these people groups. They are having to learn their language because many of them do not have a written language. They are having to teach them a written language, and then they are having to take that written language that they are teaching them and turn it into the Bible. So this is a long, drawn-out process, but but you know what? We need to get the Word of God printed in every language. We need every people group to be able to read the Word of God. So those were some interesting things about the Bible, and 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 I say all that to say this, as the Bible is, uh, is a timeless book, uh, it doesn't matter if you were reading the Bible uh, 1,500 years ago, or you're reading the Bible today, how many understand the Bible still speaks to us? It doesn't matter if you have a smartphone or you didn't have a phone. The Bible still speaks to you. It doesn't matter if you're flying on an airplane or you're riding on horseback. It doesn't matter. The Bible still speaks to us. And the Bible speaks to us not just uh, in what time of age we live in, but the Bible speaks to us in every culture on every continent. It's amazing today that in, in, in the, the heart of Africa, the Bible still speaks the same way that it does in Bossier City, Louisiana. 
in the middle of Beijing, China, the Word of God still speaks the same way that it does in Brazil. It, the Word of God is not bound by culture, it's not bound by country, and it is not bound by time. The Word of God is always effective. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You see, whenever God inspires a book, that book is not going to be limited by time or by culture. When the book is inspired by the one who created everything, how many of you understand it's going to speak to everything? And that's what the Word of God does. It corrects all of us. It teaches all of us. It inspires all of us. It prepares and equips all of us all over the world for every single good work. The Word of God is truly amazing. The Bible says this in Hebrews 4 verse 12. It says, for the Word of God is alive and powerful. The Word of God is alive. When you read the Word of God, it is not like you are reading a history book. When you read the Word of God, it's not like you are reading a novel. You are reading a book that is alive. Why? Because it was God that spoke this Word into existence. It was the breath of God. It was the moving of the Holy Spirit that spoke this into existence. So whenever you are reading the Word of God, you are not reading the, the words of an author. You are not reading the words uh, of, that somebody wrote. You are reading the, the literal inspired Word of Almighty God. And it is alive. And that's why sometimes when you can read the Bible and it's like it comes off of the page and slaps you in the face and goes back into the book and you just think, what just happened to me? It's because the Word of God is alive and it is powerful. And it will, it will inspire you, but it will also instruct you and inform you and it will change you and it will challenge you. And sometimes it's nice to you and sometimes it's not so nice to you. It's the Word of God. It's alive and powerful. And the Bible says this, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It comes into your life. It cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It, it, it means that it, it gets down into the physical. It gets into the way you think. It gets into the way you act. It gets into what you believe. It gets into every single part of your life, and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That's what the Word of God does. It's alive. It's powerful. And I believe the book is going to speak to us today through the book of Malachi. So what is this message that was spoken by God's messenger? What is this message that he's speaking to us today? There are three parts of the, to this message that I want to draw your attention to. Number one, the first message is this, you are loved. You are loved. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, really? How have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I love your ancestor, Jacob. This is how I loved you. I loved your ancestor, Jacob. God doesn't just say, I love you. Instead, God chooses to say, I have always loved you. I have always loved you. God doesn't just love you today because you're singing in church. He loved you when you were dancing in the club. 
God doesn't love you just whenever you are fixed and cleaned up. No, he loves you whenever you are ugly and you were broken. God has always loved you. And, and, he, and he put it in his word in Romans 5, Romans 5 verse 8. He says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still doing life our way. While we were still doing what we wanted to do, while our life was still being driven by our own desires and our own impulses, while we were in that place, that's when God sent Christ to die for us. He loved us long before we were righteous. He loved us long before we were a member of a church. He loved us long before we were singing and worshiping him in his sanctuary. He loved us long before that, and that's what he said to Malachi, I have always loved you. But I love here. He says, but you say, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? And God replies, I loved your ancestor Jacob. I just want you to think about this. God's answer was that he loved somebody that came 15 year, 1,500 years before them. I don't know about you, but like whenever I, I, I want God, like I want God to speak a little more relevantly to me. Like, let's at least get in the last century. You know, like, let's find something. How do you, God, how you don't love me? Yes, I do love you. I loved your ancestor Jacob. Well, he died 1,500 years ago. But how many of you understand whenever, whenever we ask that question today, but God, do you really love me? God, prove that you really love me. God points 2,000 years ago, and he says, but I sent my one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. God always points back, and God is not confined by time, and he's not limited by time, so he points all the way through time to prove to you that he really does love you. says, I loved your ancestor Jacob. I think this is interesting because uh, we know some things about Jacob. And if you were uh, here on, on that Wednesday, we, we, we talked a little bit about Jacob. We, we talked about the one who's, who's named Heel Grabber. He was, he was twins. There were twins. There were Esau and Jacob. And, and Esau was born first, but whenever Jacob was, was coming out of the womb, he was grabbing at the heel of Esau. He, he had a hold on Esau's foot, and, and they named him Jacob because Jacob literally means heel grabber or uh, more literally for us today, it means deceiver or schemer or, or trickster. And, and what we see is that what was happening in the womb when they were wrestling in the womb, what was happening at the birth when Jacob was trying to get ahead of Esau by grabbing his heel, we see that play out in their life because it was, it was Esau that came in from the field one day and he was famished and, and he said, I'm about to die if you don't give me some of, that, some of that soup. And it was Jacob that said, well, okay, I'll give you some of that soup, but how about you turn over your birthright to me so I will get your portion because the first born son always got twice. He always got double what anybody else got. So he said, okay, I tell you what, you sign that double portion that you're going to get. You sign that over to me right now. You just put your signature on right here on this document and I'll slide some soup. And Esau said, well, what good is the double portion going to be to me if I die today? And how many of you understand, if you were talking like that, not you're not about to die. But he was careless with what God had put in his hand. He was careless with that. And so he said, sure, I'll sign that over to you. He took the soup and he signed the birthright over. And then we see later on, Jacob, uh, with the help of his mother, goes in to his father, and there he steals the father's blessing, and and uh, it was Isaac that laid his hands on him, and and he blessed Jacob. He thought he was blessing Esau, but he blessed Jacob. He gave him the blessing uh, that was intended for 
the, the intended for the firstborn son. And we see so many interesting things with Jacob's life. And Jacob continues to live uh, this way. He, he's, he's a schemer. He's a trickster. He, he's what maybe some of us would call uh, a con artist. And, and later in, in Genesis chapter 32, we see Jacob as he wrestles uh, with this man. Uh, some people say it was an angel. Some people believe there was the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, but there was a man sent from God that Jacob wrestles with right there by the Jabbok River. And he spends all night wrestling with this man. And, and he's not going to let him go. And it's, a, it, it's a, a violent wrestling match. And nobody's winning until finally the sun is coming up. And the Bible says that this, this man touches Jacob's hip and he knocked it out of socket. And he said, let me go. And he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And he blesses him and he says, you know, your name has been Jacob, but your, no, your name is not going to be Jacob any longer. From now, you will be called Israel because you have struggled with God and with man and you have overcome. But I think it is so interesting here that when God is speaking through Malachi, he doesn't say in Malachi, I loved your ancestors ancestor Israel. He says, I loved your ancestor Jacob. I, 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 I love your ancestor Jacob. What's he saying? He's saying, I loved you before you won. I loved you when you were losing. I loved you when you were broken. I loved you when you were a trickster and a schemer and a con. I love I loved you when you when you weren't perfect. I loved you when you weren't living righteous. I I loved you when you were doing it your own way. I have loved Jacob. I I, I didn't I didn't just love Israel. I loved Jacob. And what does that speak to each and every one of us? It speaks to us that God loved us the same way that He loved Jacob. That God loves us before we get everything figured out and before we get everything right. And not only does it speak to that, it also speaks to us to understand that, that Jacob was the second born son, but he got the first born blessing. He was the second born and he, and he got what he did not deserve. And it speaks to us to let us know that we can get what we did not deserve. Because we were all, for the most part, as I look around, we were born Gentiles. I don't see any Jews in, in the bunch. And, and whenever God called Abraham out, he said, you're going to be my people. And God put his blessing on his people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people. He said, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to bless you. But then whenever Jesus came, he didn't just come for the Jew. He came for the Jew first, then for the Gentile. And what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 11, that we have been grafted into the vine. It wasn't natural. It was supernatural. And it was the same way that Jacob got his blessing. It was not a natural order. It was not the right way. But God said, I'm going to do something here, and I'm going to reverse the order, and I'm going to put my blessing on what should not be blessed. And I'm going to give you what you do not deserve. And you will walk in the blessing, and you will carry out. And God did the same thing for us. And so when God says, I have loved Jacob, God's saying, I have loved you. I loved you so much that I just brought you on into the family. You didn't deserve a seat at the table, but through my son, I gave you a seat anyway. It was supernatural. And so you got to get the first message of Malachi, and that is the fact that you are loved. A bloody cross and an empty tomb proves how much you are loved. And it, it doesn't matter if you, if you say, God, how do you love me today? God says, 2,000 years ago. Let's look back 2,000. I don't feel loved today. 2,000 years ago is evidence enough to prove. 
that God loves each and every one of us. So you have to know that you are loved. Here's the second message we get out of Malachi. You will be corrected. You will be corrected. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6 says this. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. I don't know about you, but the word of God always can, you know, just kind of, it, it can be a little funny sometimes. Have you forgotten the encouraging word, it said? Have you forgotten the encouraging word that the Lord has spoken to you? That he will correct you and discipline you? I mean, like, oh, yeah, that, that's an encouraging word. How about, like, he's never going to leave me or forsake me? I was, that's what I was kind of hoping for there, you know. But, but he's never, he, he, he is going to, to discipline those he loves. And he punishes each one that he accepts as his child. But it really is encouraging. It really is encouraging. And, and, and we look in Malachi and we see that God corrects them regarding multiple things. The first thing that God corrects them regarding is the sacrifices. Let's look at this just for a moment. Malachi chapter 1, verse 7, God says, You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? I mean, this sounds like a bratty kid talking about, right? How have you loved us? How have we defiled? Everything God says, they've got this response. You defiled them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It goes down in verse 10. It says, I will not accept your offerings. Down in verse 13, he says, you say, it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my command, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these, ask the Lord. Wow. God comes in to correct them regarding their sacrifices. Now today, we don't bring bulls and goats or doves to the altar anymore. But, but you have to know that we still bring a sacrifice to the Lord. This is what the Bible says in Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Give your bodies, offer your bodies, offer your lives to God, and let them be a holy and living sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You don't have to bring a healthy lamb, but you do have to bring a healthy life. You don't bring animals anymore, but there is still a sacrifice that God is requiring from his people. And when you sing a loud song on Sunday, but you live a lousy life on Monday, your sacrifice is sick. When you quote the Bible to your kids, but you don't love your neighbor or forgive your relatives, your sacrifice is blind. 
When you are more concerned with pleasing the people around you than you are the one who created you, then that just means that your sacrifice is crippled. You see, we still have a sacrifice today, and that sacrifice is the way we live our lives. And so whenever we are living our lives in a way that is not holy and that is not pleasing to him, God will come and correct us the same way that he corrected them during this time. And he says, look, I'm not going to accept the diseased animal. I'm not going to accept the crippled animal. I'm not going to accept the animal that you stole and brought to my altar. No, there's only one type of offering that I accept, and it's the offering that I asked for, and he has asked each and every one of us to bring him a life, an offering, a sacrifice that is wholly pleasing and acceptable to him, and that is by living a holy life. That's the, that's the sacrifice that we bring. And whenever we don't bring that, guess what God brings? Correction. God brings discipline to all of our lives. God, God also, uh, he doesn't just uh, correct them regarding their sacrifice. He also corrects them regarding their unfaithfulness. Let, let's read a, a few more scriptures here in Malachi chapter 2. God says, here is another thing you do. Come on, I mean, how many of you ever have had an experience with God like this? Like God points out one thing, and you're like, oh, okay, God. And then he points out another thing, and then you're like, oh, okay, God, that's good. Okay, God, yeah. And he points out another thing, and you start feeling like, man, God, how long is this going to go on? You know, yeah. <laughs> and God says here, he says, here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Come on, God. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his and what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. God comes down to correct unfaithfulness. He said, you made a vow. You made a commitment, and you have not been faithful to the commitment you made. So God comes down to bring correction. But God doesn't stop there. He rolls over into the next chapter, Malachi chapter 3. And he says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord, of heaven's armies. I will open the window of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. God says, you've been unfaithful with the tithe. You've been unfaithful to give me what belonged to me. God says, you have been cheating me. You have been robbing me. You have been taking what is mine and using it for your own self, using it for your own pleasure. God said, you've been unfaithful. I ask you to do something, and you're not doing it. You see, doing what you say you are going to do is important to God. You need to understand that. 
Your words are important. Doing what you say you are going to do is important to God. Keeping the commitments you said you were going to keep and the ones that God asked you to keep is important to him. Keeping the commitments you said you were going to keep and keeping the ones that he asked you to keep, those things are important to God. What is that called? That is called being faithful. And God wants us to be faithful to him, and he wants us to be faithful to his body, to be faithful to one another. Faithfulness is listed in the fruits of the Spirit found in Ephesians chapter 5. It is, the, it is a fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives, faithfulness ought to be a, a, a byproduct of the Holy Spirit having control of us. We ought to be faithful. That means I ought to do what I say I'm going to do. That means I need to keep the commitments I make, and I also need to keep the commitments that God has asked me to make. Why? Because I have the fruit of faithfulness in my life. I will be faithful to the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do what you are going to say. Don't get to the place where you have to swear on this and swear on that and swear by that. He says, no, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you put a yes on it, then do it. If you say, no, I'm not going to do it, then don't do it. And just be faithful with that thing. Proverbs 28, 20 says this, a faithful man will abound with blessing. Come on, a faithful man, a faithful person will abound with blessing. You see, God will come and discipline unfaithfulness. Why? Because he wants you to abound with blessing. He knows that whenever you are faithful, you will abound with blessing. So he comes to correct you, and he comes to discipline you. Why? Because he knows the result of a faithful person. And whenever you are faithful, it will be true to his word, and you will be overflowing with the blessing of heaven in your life. And God wants you to overflow with that blessing, so God is going to bring the correction. Why else does God want you uh, to be faithful? Because he is faithful, and he's called us to be like him. Oh, the Bible says that, that, that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful because that's who he is. God, God isn't uh, one who changes. He's the same yesterday, day, and forever. Why? Because he is faithful. You can look up all the scriptures from Genesis all the, all the way to Revelation about the faithfulness of God. And God is a faithful God, and he has called us to be in his image, to look like him, to think like him, to love like him, to live like him, to talk like him, to act like him. That's who we are supposed to be making our life in the image of him. That's who we are, we are following. And if, and if that's the case, then God Guess what we need to be? We need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. God will come in and bring correction to our unfaithfulness. So you need to know. You need to know that, that you will be corrected. It's the, it's the second message of Malachi. Here's the, the, the last message of Malachi, and that is this. You, you have hope. You have hope. Hey, you, you, you are loved. You will be corrected. But come on, the last message of Malachi is that you have hope. This is what Malachi chapter 4 says, verse 1. The Lord of heaven's army says, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free Leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. 
when he says for those that, that, are, that are godless, those that are wicked, it's not going to turn out well. But whenever you fear the Lord, whenever you are living your life by his, by his will and by his way, whenever you're doing the sun of righteousness is going to rise, and it's going to rise with healing in its wing. What that means for each and every one of us is that salvation is available for us, healing is available for us, freedom is available for us. All of these things are available to us, and you know what? That ought to give each and every one of us tremendous hope. You have hope. You have hope because you have access to salvation. You have hope because you have access to healing. You have hope because you have access to freedom. Come on, can you, can you just see what Malachi wrote there? Can you just see this calf that, it, that is let out into the pasture? He says, you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out into the pasture. Can you just see that in your mind's eye right now? That calf being released from confinement, leaping out into the pasture. Can you see that? I, I was in Wales on, on, a, on a mission trip, and, and we were there, and uh, uh, we, we were walking. Desi and I and a couple other people, we were living in a house that was up kind of in this hill area, and we just went out for a walk. Beautiful scenery. I mean, it's just amazing, just incredible. Incredible, beautiful place right there on the coast. You can almost see the water right there in the distance, the ocean there. And we're walking on these big hills. And all of a sudden, man, we hear just this, I mean, I, you know, for somebody raised here, you know, like this, bah, bah, you know, we're like, what is, what sound is that? You know, it's like, we, <laughs> is that a cow? No, I mean, it's a, it's a sheep. And, 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 and so we, we make our way, we literally, we follow the sound and it's, bah, I mean, it's just like crazy. I mean, it sounds like the sheep are having a revival meeting or something. It's like, bah, bah, bah. And so we get there, and, and the, 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 the people are, are shearing the sheep. I believe that's what it's called, right? Okay. Yeah, they are shearing the sheep. Okay, so, I mean, these sheep, man, they are, I mean, they're, they're, like, they're like this big with all the wool. And then whenever they, they, they shear them, I mean, they, they, they're butt naked. I mean, they just shear every bit of And they come jumping off that. I, it was the funniest thing. When they let them off of that trailer, I mean, they're shearing it. I mean, they just kicked their feet out. I mean, it was the funniest thing. I just stood there forever. Wish I would have had a smartphone. I would be showing it right now if I had video. This was way back in the day, like 2000. I mean, it's like, ah, I mean, they're just, jump. and you know what? Whenever I, whenever I read that verse, that's the picture that came back into my mind. Because they were so happy to be free. They had been in this little pen with all these other sheep just crammed up in there, so uncomfortable. Peter would not have been happy. And they were just all crammed up in there, pressed up against the rail. They, they grab them down, throw them down on this trailer. I mean, how would you like that? And then they just throw them off. And, man, they were, like, so happy but, but so exposed. They were just, just leaping and kicking and jumping around. And when I read that, that's what I thought about. And I thought, do you know, man, isn't that a, just what God wants us to be like? coming out of confinement, that we don't have to be confined, that we don't have to live within the, uh, within the confines or the shackles of the lies that people have spoken over us, the lies the enemy has spoken over. We don't have to live within the confinements of, of our fear, of our worry, of our insecurity, of our selfishness, of our addiction, of pleasing others. We don't have to live within the confinements of low self-esteem and unforgiveness and greed. We can all be free, and you can be like that calf that is out there jumping in the past celebrating because you're not 
bound by anything anymore. You're not confined by anything anymore. Why? Because the Son has set you free, and when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You have hope. It's the message of Malachi. After you've been corrected, after you've been disciplined, after the Lord has come in and dealt with you on some issues, you need to get the last message of Malachi, and that is you have hope. Why? Because God doesn't come to correct you just to point a finger at you. He comes to correct you so that he can actually bless you. He comes to correct you so that you, so that you can be better. He wants you to know that you have hope. You have hope. So if you have hope, come on, let's live like it. If we have this hope, let's act like it. If we have this hope, can we walk in this hope every single day? Even while we're being corrected, we still have a hope. Even while we're being disciplined, we still have a hope. Even as he said that the Lord punishes those he loves, come on, we still have a hope. The hope doesn't go away when you're being corrected. The hope doesn't disappear whenever you're being punished. The hope doesn't go away whenever you're being disciplined. No, no, no. The hope doesn't go away. You still have a hope. We have that hope tonight. It's the message from the messenger. You are loved. You will be corrected. You have a hope. And I, I just want to close by this, and Philip can come to the keys. But I, I want to come, I, I want to I just, just come to an end here. Malachi is the last book in the New Testament. And then you have Matthew in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's coming to the Gospels. Of Jesus, but between Malachi and the Gospels, there's 400 years. 400 years. Some people believe that 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 the prophet Joel was after Malachi. That there may have been another prophet in there, but most people hold to the fact that there was 400 years of silence. 400 years. I mean, we've just, we've just marched through Abraham and come all the way to Malachi some, you know, 2,000 years almost. We, we've made our way through there. And then you get to Malachi to the New Testament and 400 years of silence. And as I was thinking about that, I, I don't know if, if, if you have ever been through a silent season before. If you've ever been praying, but it feels like just not getting anywhere. You read your Bible, and it's just not speaking to you the way that you need it to speak to you. You're, you're, you're praying in the car on the way to work, but it seems like heaven is silent. And, and, and you're just going through a difficult time, and you're crying out to God, and you're doing everything that you know to do. Reading your Bible, you're coming to church, but for whatever reason, it just seems like it's silent. Heaven is silent. What, what do you do when you walk through a silent season? What do you do? What you do is you have to hang on to the last message you receive. That's how you get through the silent season. You, you hang on to the last message. And the last message that God sent his people was this, you are loved. You are loved. I've always loved you. Even when you were acting a fool, I loved you. Even when heaven's silent, I love you. 
even when it's not working out the way you thought it was going to work out, I've loved you. Even when you make a bad decision, I love you. You are loved. You got to hang on to the last message you got, and that's the last message they got, that you are loved. You will be corrected. Okay, so I might be experiencing some pain in my life, and I might be thinking it's the devil, but it's actually God getting my attention, saying, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Some things in our life that we need to cut out, some things in our life that we need to push to the side. There's some things in our life that we need to deal with, and I'm experiencing a little bit of pain. We understand that pain can be a good thing sometimes. I have some things I need to, I need to do differently. I need to hang on to that message. But within the last message of the book is that you got hope. You have hope. How do you make it through the silent season? You just hang on to the last message that you got. And as you go through the silent season, you go through it knowing, wait a minute, God, I am loved. Even if I don't feel loved, God, if you love Jacob, you love me. If you love Jacob, you're going to love me. God, I'm going to make it through this silent season because I know that I am loved. I might not feel loved right now, but I know what your word declares, and your word declares that I am loved. I know what you have spoken to me. I know what you put in the book about me, and you said that I was loved, and you proved it by sending your son. So I'm just going to stand on that word. God, I know that you will correct me because you love me. You'll correct me because you love me. You'll discipline me because you love me and because you want the best for me. And so whenever I go through the silent season, sometimes i got to ask myself, God, is there something you're trying to say by not saying anything at all? God can speak even in his silence. God, are you trying to say something to me? Trying to speak something to me through this silence? Is there something that I need to get a hold of in the midst of all of this silence? I got to come to the last point and just say, no, wait a minute, but there's a hope. I've got this, I've got this hope, and the silent season may have lasted longer than I wanted it to. The silent season may have been tougher than I would have liked it to be. But I, I have a hope. What, what is my hope? That weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That, that, that's a hope that I've, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. I might not feel you with me right now, but your word is that you are with me. I, I might be in the middle of the storm, but I know what your word says, that you're going to go with me all the way through the storm. I know what the word, and therefore I have a hope because I know what the word says. And so whenever the heaven is silent, what I have to do is I have to hang on to the last message that God gave me. And the last message of the Old Testament was simply this, you are loved and you got a hope. You got a hope. So when it's dark, don't let the darkness steal your hope. When it's hard, don't let, don't, don't let it steal your hope. Whenever times are tough, don't let it steal your hope. Don't let Harvey take your hope. You got to hang on to your hope. Even in the midst of silence, you got to hang on to the last thing that God speaks to you. And he speaks to you. You have hope. Isn't it interesting that that was the last message spoke, spoken to his people? And the next thing we see is Jesus stepping onto the scene. <laughs> you have a hope. And then he sent our hope. He said, you, you have a hope. Oh, oh you, you thought 400 years was a long time. It's nothing for God. 
40 days can seem like an eternity to you, especially if you've ever fasted. A year can seem like it's never going to get here. Poor Julietta, my three-year-old, she, she asked me at least five times a week, am I four yet? She's like, this is the long, I mean, you, you told me in December, Dad. I'm like, yeah, December's still a long way away. But it just seems like forever. And whenever you're walking through a difficult season, it can seem like forever. But what you need to know is that you have a hope, and God is sending that hope to you. And it's going to show up in your life. The weeping is only going to endure for the night. You don't get to determine how long that night season is, but there will be a morning. There will be a morning. The storm is coming to an end. The sun is going to rise. And it's during the silence that you have to hang on to that last word. Oh, man, we could go into people that we've already talked about. We could talk about Joseph and having to hang on to that dream that he had. Hang on to that dream, betrayed by his brothers, thrown into the pit, sold into slavery, lied about in Potiphar's house, finding himself in prison, forgotten about while he was there in prison, and yet he's hanging on to the dream, the last thing that God gave him. And the next thing you know, he steps right out of that prison, right into the palace, <sighs> hanging on to the last thing that God gave him. We could talk about David being anointed by Samuel. Where did he go? Sent right back out there with the sheep. Nothing changed for him. He was still running, running, a, running lunch down to his brothers. I mean, he's, got, he's got the oil of the, of, of the king on his head, and he's just, just serving, running, running a lunch down there to his brothers. And, and, and he, he knows what God has spoken to him, and he's just holding it. And his brothers are mocking him and making fun of him. And he stands before Goliath, and, and he kills Goliath. And he's, he's talked about he's going to be a hero, but then the king Saul turns on him and begins to throw spears at him. And David is often uh, running through, running out in the desert among the mountains, hiding for his life, hiding in caves. And what did he have to hold on to? He, had, he, he just had this one promise from God. He had the oil that was poured on his head. He had the word that came from the prophet Samuel that one day you were going to be king. You are God's man. And he just had to hang on to that word. And he says, I don't know how long this season is going to last, but this season is going to come to an end. Why? Because I have a hope. I have a word from God. And I'm going to hang on to that word from God. And I'm going to step out of this cave. And I'm going to step underneath that crown. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. You can go all the way through all the people that we've preached about and see how many of them had a silent season, but they just held on to the word. You've got to hold on to the word. You are loved. You will be corrected, but you have a hope in Almighty God. Come on, will you stand with me tonight? just bow your head just for a moment because I, I, I just really believe that the messenger was speaking a message to our hearts tonight the messenger of God had a message from God that he wrote down on a scroll and today we read it out of a Bible and I believe it spoke to you tonight I believe it spoke to you tonight that you are loved. God, how do you love me? Because I love Jacob. 
I love Jacob. I've always loved you. I've always loved you. you when you were a sinner. I loved you when you were a schemer. I loved you when you were a backstabber. I loved you when you were doing life your own way. You are loved and you've always been loved. It's the message tonight from some of you. For others, the message tonight is you will be corrected. Sometimes what we think is the attack of the enemy is actually the correction of God. Why does God discipline you? Why, why does the scripture say God will punish those that he loves? Because God wants to ultimately bless you. God wants to make sure that you're faithful. God wants to make sure that you're offering the right sacrifice. Why? So that you can be blessed, so that you can live the abundant life that he created you to live. You will be corrected. Why will you be corrected? Because you are loved. For some of you tonight, you need to hold on to the message that you have hope. Even in the midst of silence, you have hope. Even in the midst of heartache, you have hope. Even in the even in the midst of the midnight hour, you have hope. Even in the midst of your frustration and your confusion, even in the midst of situations that you never dreamed you would ever find yourself, you have a hope. And whenever heaven goes silent in your life, you need to hang on to the last message you received. And the last message that God sent to his people in the Old Testament they were reading about is you are loved. Because you're loved, you will be corrected. But you have a hope and you need to hang on to that hope because the weeping will come to an end and joy will come in the morning. Jesus is going to show up for you he is going to come the same way that he came to earth. He's going to step into your world. He's going to step into your life. And he's going to bring life. And he's going to bring freedom. And he's going to bring strength. And he's going to bring perseverance. And he's going to bring wisdom. And he's going, he's going to bring everything that you need. Tonight, if you say, I, I receive, I receive this message from the messenger. From the messenger Malachi, I received this message that I am loved and I've always been loved. I received this message that I will be corrected. I received that. I, re I received the correction of God. I received the discipline of God. Tonight, I know that I have a hope. And I received this message. And I'm going to hold on to it even through my silent seasons. Come on, if that's you tonight, just lift that hand towards heaven. See, I received the message from the messenger tonight. From Malachi. I receive it. And I'm going to hang on to it. Tonight, I declare, I have a message from God. And I'm going to hang on to this message through my tough days. I'm going to hang on through the, to this message through my long nights. I'm going to hang on to this message 
through my silent seasons. I'm going to hang on to this message, and it's going to carry me through the same way that it carried Joseph through. It's going to carry me through the same way it carried Abraham through. I'm going to hang on to this. It's going to carry me through the same way it carried David through. It's going to hang. I'm going to hang on to this message, and it's going to carry me all the way through that season till I get to the promise that he has for me. Father, tonight we lay hold of this message. We say we receive it tonight. We believe it tonight. And we're going to walk in the grace of this message. We are loved. We will be corrected. But we have a glorious, powerful, and wonderful hope in you and in your son, Jesus Christ. We hang on to that tonight. And we say thank you for the message that came from your messenger. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Come on, if you believe it, put your hands together. Give God some praise tonight. The message from the messenger. <laughs>